I Speak the System by Jimmy Cliche. This is chapter 13, Drug Rugs. At the end of seventh grade, there were several dances and a couple trips to Canopy Lake Amusement Park where I brought frog parts from the dead frog we dissected in class and tried to drop them on my teacher from the sky ride. For years to come, the seventh grade science teacher would start her frog dissection project by telling kids that they were absolutely not to take frog parts home with them, making her appear crazy just for saying it. I got my first flask at Canopy Lake that year, too. They were selling pink lemonade in pink elephant-shaped plastic bottles with a black sippy cup cap on it. I knew it'd be perfect for hiding alcohol. I could even bring alcohol to school without worrying about getting caught. I filled it with hard liquor from my basement liquor cabinet for months, but eventually my parents found out and threw away all the liquor. I still had the flask hidden in my bedroom, though, and Doyon's sister to call. We had our end-of-the-year drama class performance at the Playhouse in early June, where I met a boy named Jack who was a couple years older than me. He drank and smoked, and he liked me. He lived in another town, but his bike was all... but he rode his bike all the way to my house, sometimes with no notice, and I'd throw him out if he showed up when I wasn't in the mood. My mom knew he was a bad influence, so if he showed up, it always led to an argument with her. Luckily for him, he happened to have a friend in my neighborhood who was a big red-headed kid named Seth. The two of them came over every now and then to swim or hang out on the deck with me and Audrey. My mom would eventually say the boys had to go, and they'd go split a big bottle of vodka in the woods behind the park down behind the park down the street i think the i only got about 5 signatures in my 6th grade yearbook all saying have a nice summer but in 7th grade my yearbook signatures said don't kill yourself don't get pregnant try not to do so many drugs thanks for teaching me how to french kiss a tomato and so on i couldn't show my mom the yearbook and she was mad at me for keeping it from her since she paid for it. She knew there was some devious reason I didn't want to show her. I was in trouble all the time. The kid Tom, the kid Tom who felt me up at a dance in sixth grade was always writing me notes saying he was going to grab my tits when no one was looking and rape me. Several other kids threatened to rape me too. One kid wrote in my yearbook, You have really big eyes, not. That was the word of the year, not. I can't emphasize how many compliments I got in seventh grade, only to be followed by the word not, which was to say this compliment does not apply to you, or in the case of the yearbook message, I am not talking about your eyes. It was just another way to be cruel, but I did have a lot more friends in seventh grade, even if they weren't long-lasting relationships and were mostly based on the fact that we all enjoyed getting into trouble. The school year started with me in MC Hammer Pants, but by early spring I was wearing hemp shirts we called drug rugs, and my dad's flannel flannel shirts over concert t-shirts of rock bands like Motley Crue and Metallica, who I was now familiar with. My hair was in a bandana, and I wore my eyeliner like I was trying to be Brett Michaels from Poison. I was. He was dreamy and androgynous, but also in the also had the look of rebellious rock stars who did drugs. That glam rock style was glamorous to me, for sure. I had posters of rock bands on my wall, but I also had posters of Janet Jackson, Madonna, Drew Barrymore, and Balthazar Getty. Drew and Balti dated back then, 
That was back when I used to read magazines and knew, and know stuff like that. I told people I knew them both and that we were all friends or something. An obvious lie, but I just made shit up left and right and didn't consider the consequences. At the same time, I overshared the truth, including secrets I wasn't supposed to tell. I'd write it in notes to friends or share it with music teacher, who eventually started going to the guidance counselor about stuff I told her. I felt betrayed by my teacher and was angry, but I turned it inward, achieving more self-hatred and depression. She obviously wanted to help, though, and part of me knew that, which is why I turned my anger inward. I kept going to her with my secrets because I trusted her more than, than my parents or my guidance counselor, and I needed an adult in my life. When my parents found out from the guidance counselor that I'd been drinking so much, they told me they were concerned because my Grammy, who died when I was four, and my papa were both alcoholics, a grandparent on each side. I couldn't remember either of them drinking, but I was only four when Grammy died, and Papa got sober when I was seven because my mom said he couldn't be around us unless he stopped. I didn't know all that then, though. My mom was pregnant with Natalie and when I was seven, and he wanted to be in our lives, so he got sober and apparently went to AA for a few years. My mom had some Al-Anon stuff he gave her in a drawer in the bedroom. I'd often imagine myself talking to him about it, but I never did. He was big in my life at that time, though. He picked me up from the middle school in bad weather, or if I was there late, or when I went to the nurse's office begging to go home sick. I spent a great deal of time in the nurse's office not feeling well. I'd usually have to come up with some lie they'd accept because I didn't have the words to say that I was anxious, depressed, dissociated, triggered, and stressed, and that I was going through trauma after trauma every second of the day, that I was being bullied and that I didn't have a moment of peace at school. I'd come home every day and feel misunderstood there too. I was alone and suicidal and I couldn't handle another second in the company of my peers or even myself for that matter. How does one explain all that? They wouldn't have had any empathy for me anyway, even if I had explained it. Usually I'd just say I had a sore throat, but I spent a lot of time in my car with my papa who never judged me for going home early the way everyone else did. While I was worried about my own while I was worried about my own drinking, my dad was out drinking a lot too. He was hardly ever home and when he was he was often shit faced. One time he sang I'm too sexy in front of Alexa when she was over having dinner before a dance. We often argued because he was supposed to drive me somewhere and I'd tell him I wished he wasn't driving us drunk. The idea of us getting into an accident or him being arrested petrified me. He'd make me feel like I was an ungrateful brat for bringing it up. Maybe I was, but I was scared to lose my father. That summer, I went camping with Audrey and her family way up in northern Maine somewhere. They knew some guy who had acres of land to camp out in tents and stuff. I brought a little alcohol, a few cigarettes, and a lighter, which we never got a chance to use. We were around her family all the time, but had a blast sitting by the campfire, swimming in the ice-cold river, listening to a battery-operated radio and a guy named Snake who played guitar. Her dad let me shoot some cans with his hunting gun, and to this day that's the only time I've ever used a real gun. I wasn't that into it, but it was something new to try. Her parents cooked different meals in a frying pan over the fire, and we had s'mores. One night they made hamburger fajitas and taught me how to do it. 
That was the first time I'd ever heard of fajitas, and the first real thing I learned how to cook other than the box macaroni and cheese recipe we learned in home ec. I made it from, for my parents when I came home from Maine. I thought I was a master chef. Audrey's parents used to used instant mas- mashed potatoes the night we had meat and potatoes, and I'd never seen those before. My mom and Nana always peeled, boiled, and mashed pounds of potatoes almost every night. I referred to the instant ones as portable potatoes, and that became my nickname to Audrey's family from then on, portable potatoes. I loved her family and felt welcome there. When my family went to Cape Cod for a week that summer, Audrey came with us even though my mom wasn't thrilled with the idea. Audrey and I spent a lot of time with my baby cousin Kenny and Mark, who were both born in June, two days apart. When we were trying to make people we were trying to make people think they were our sons. We were only twelve and thirteen but looked much older. We met a couple Latino boys named Mike and Rizzo at the beach. We thought they were probably older than us when they asked how old and when they asked how old we were, I said sixteen, and Audrey said seventeen. The boys said they were the same age. Then I said, Actually I'm fifteen, which was still a lie, and the boys said the same. We kept going until we found out that they were also 12 and 13, but they thought we were older because we had kids. They said they were from New York and had cute accents. I'm pretty sure they must have said they were from the ghetto, but neither Audrey or I, and, but neither Audrey or I knew what the ghetto was at that time. So when they explained it with their accents, we ended up calling it the gutter. My parents were trying to keep an eye on us, but we walked uptown and stole from every store and hung out with the boys at the beach. There were a couple little kids next door, and I was a professional babysitter at that point for my cousins and sisters, plus several families in the neighborhood. So I offered to watch the kids one night so their parents could go out. We invited Mike and Rizzo to come by the second the parents left, but then my parents came by to check on things because we were allowed and right next door. We hid Mike and Rizzo in the closet, and we just barely got away with it. We made out with them on the couch all night, with MTV on on in the background after the kids were in bed, until we saw a car pull up in the driveway. That's when the boys darted out the back. The last day of vacation, we took a trip to P-Town, which is the tip of Cape Cod. It's highly populated by queer people and artists and people trying to catch fish and lobster. It's the most beautiful part of the Cape, as well as the extra hour drive, and well worth the extra hour drive, but there's a lot of walking involved, not a lot of bathrooms, and not much variety for food. It's hard to find a restaurant that has something everyone in the family can eat, especially kids and people who don't like fish like myself. Once a place is found, it's often a wait to get in. We finally found a place and we were seated there after almost an hour of waiting in the sun. We looked at the menu and the waiter approached. He was very feminine and obviously gay. He asked us what we wanted and when it got to my dad's turn, he ordered his meal and said, I'd like the clam chowder for the soup. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Clam chowder isn't one of the soups you can get with this meal, the waiter said. What do you mean, my dad asked offended. You can get one of the other soups, but clam chowder is separate. What fucking sense does that make? A cup of clam chowder costs the same as the other soups. Just bring me the clam chowder instead of the other soup. How hard is that? My dad said, frustrated. I can't, I'm sorry, sir. Store policy. 
You're a real piece of shit. You can't get me a cup of clam chowder instead of another soup, you faggot. My dad yelled, pounding the table, demanding to speak to the manager, who also told my father that he couldn't have the clam chowder with his meal, but he could get it separate. My father sometimes does this to people he thinks less of who he thinks less of than him to this day, usually without the word faggot, but he still likes to destroy people and make them feel shitty if he can't get his way. It infuriates me, but this particular time he said faggot, which took shook me because of the Tello brothers and Rodeo Romeo saying they could tell I was in love with Audrey. They said I was a dyke. Was I a dyke? Was I in love with Audrey? We used to write L-Y-D-B-N-Q on all our notes, which meant love you dearly but not queerly. I didn't want to be a dyke, especially when my father clearly hated gay people. I cried and cried for hours that day and got yelled at for crying. Mike and Rizzo gave us their numbers when we parted, but they, we only called them a couple times because it was long distance. Audrey and I spent most of the summer trying to figure out how to run away to the gutters in New York and become hookers. One summer night, my new friend Mindy was hanging out with Kennedy, who I knew from drama class, CCD, youth group, and they called me over to play Capture the Flag in Kennedy's neighborhood. We played games outside, listened to music, told stories, and even ended up playing a game of spin the gun with a water gun. I volunteered to kiss for people who were too shy. I ended up kissing a few people that night, including a popular jock who wasn't normally into me. We had a blast in that magical way one does midsummer at the as the school year approached. A few days after the big capture of flag of capture the flag game, we had a hurricane called Hurricane Bob. I climbed out of my window with a little battery operated radio that my nana and papa gave me. I sat halfway in the window, half on the roof, playing playing the hard rock station WAAF, and I was sitting there thinking about other times I spent on the roof, drinking wine coolers with Audrey and Bree, because no one could see us up there. I just sat there during the hurricane with the rain and the strong winds, like a true rebel, and I could see the Smith family of bullies ride by on their bikes, but I was high up above feeling invincible. The next day was more significant, however. I got a phone call from a couple older jock boys I didn't know very well. Hey, one of them said, me and my friends are having a party right now if you want to come. My parents are out and Dave and Jessica are here if you, if you, and they want to see you. The kid lived right around the corner and it was in the middle of a summer day, so I didn't even have to lie to my mom. I just said I was going for a bike ride. I wanted to see Dave and Jessica since they were asking for me, but there was no party when I got there. Just three boys. Do you want a beer? One of them asked. We know you're an alcoholic. I was actually making my first attempt to get sober at the time, so I said, no thanks, I'm not really drinking right now. I was looking around confused that there was no party, and I didn't see Dave or Jessica. They sensed this and Dave and I, and said, Dave and Jessica are in my brother's room making out on the bed. Let's go to my sister's room and hang out. I followed them reluctantly to a little girl's bedroom. They said, we heard you give yourself to anyone who asks. They were being mean and started grabbing my chest and crotch without my permission. They took turns holding me down and undressing me, biting my nipples and and examining me all over. I didn't like it and I left as soon as I was able to collect myself. 
I didn't even notice that someone snapped pictures of us. I rushed home on my bike and cried. I didn't tell anyone except maybe Audrey, who I probably bragged to as if I wanted it, because I was ashamed of the truth.